Hi, my name is Josh. This week I got to speak to Christian Byrne. She is a development associate for individual giving at the Children's Hospital Philadelphia Foundation. This week's podcast is special to me because I've been working with the foundation for the past year. In my time at the foundation, I learned an invaluable amount about fundraising community and medical in Philadelphia. Fundraising is not always thought about as a career up until recently. You'd be surprised how dynamic, how rewarding and challenging a career in fundraising can be. There are so many different skill sets and job positions and opportunities available in this area. In this podcast, we talk about what are some of the skills that are good for fundraisers to have, ways to get into fundraising, and what does a career in fundraising look like. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Christian. Um, if you could give us a little background on yourself, what you do, and how did you get to your uh, fundraising career today? Sure, of course. Uh, so my name is Kristen Byrne. I've been working for the Chop Foundation for um, eight years now. It was eight years in August. I have been in my current role, which is a development associate for individual giving for two years now. Um, it was two years in June. Prior to that, I was on the gift administration team. So I was more behind the scenes um, and, and kind of learned about the data and the analytics and, you know, all the things that really make for accuracy and make frontline fundraisers jobs a little bit easier. Um, now th that I'm a development associate, I support the individual giving team. Um, I help with donor strategy. I help with prospect, prospect development. Um, I help, you know, my job, I, I always kind of say that my role as a development associate is the catch-all position because I I have such a wide range of requests that come in every day specific to the needs of the individual giving team. Um, that I, And I really enjoy it because it is so different every day. What did you study in school? I went to school for uh, communications. So I have my Bachelor of Arts in communications. Um, originally, my interest, my my I thought my main interest was more in the event planning slash like PR world. Um, once I joined CHOP in the, the CHOP Foundation, I quickly learned that um, event planning is not for me. It takes a special kind of person to be an event planner. Um, so much kudos to the, the CHOP events team because they have 500 million things going on all the time and they they keep it together and then their events are just executed flawlessly my my type a personality would not allow for <laughs> the all over the place all the time i knew that i wanted to do something where i i was giving back in some way like i was i but i i originally thought that i wanted to be a nurse actually um quickly learned that I did not want to be a nurse. My mom's a nurse. She's been a nurse for like 25 years and she's loved her job. Um, again, nurses are special people. I don't have, I don't have that in me, but I, I, I also wanted to find something that I could do that would make some kind of difference in, in healthcare in the world. And I, I actually stumbled upon this job. I was in a different position right out of college working for a bank and um, a friend of mine that I worked with at the bank started working at CHOP and knew about my interest with like wanting to do something that that's fulfilling to me and gives me value and makes me feel like I'm making a change in one way or another. And um he, you know, at the bank that we were working at together, he, we always did little fundraisers and we would go out for community outreach and different things like that. And he saw how much I really enjoyed that. Um, 
So an opportunity to work for the Chop Foundation came across his his email and he sent it to me and he was like, I think this would be a really great opportunity for you to see and test the water raising. Um, I am also a, a why person. So I like to know the why of everything, whether it's big or small. So getting, getting into fundraising in the behind the scenes role for me in the gift administration role, I think was, was absolutely perfect. And, and almost like, you know, career changing because it, it gave me a better understanding of everything that I'm doing today. While I'm not behind the scenes anymore, I have such an understanding for how important the, the work being done behind the scenes really is to making the frontline fundraisers be successful. Um, Did you have an experience, like a first experience or something that was like, like your aha moment? So I guess my aha moment, the connection that I made went with reading the job description for CHOP and then thinking back to like my life and growing up, I, my very first lemonade stand, I remember I made like buku box. It was like a hot day. There was construction happening right down the street from me. So like I made money and I, I think I was like nine years old. And, um, I remember having a friend who was sick in school and she, she actually has like a cleft palate and, she was always like really sad about it. And she was, you know, going through it and had, she's had like six surgeries in her life. Either way. Um, she, I, I had, I made like $125, I think, which when you're nine years old was like unbelievable. And I remember my mom and dad saying to me, what now? All right, what do you want to do? Do you want to save the money? Do you want to spend the money? And, and they didn't even really make the suggestion to, to donate the money. But then I thought back to my friend and I just was like, I want to do something that's going to help my friend to feel better. And and my parents were kind of like, wow, like this nine-year-old kid is, you know, and I have seen that so many times in my career at CHOP that like it, it still gives me chills to this day that the kids, the kids being treated at CHOP have some of like the most life-threatening illnesses and they're resilient and they are so positive about life and they they just they they don't think about themselves they think about each other and they think about what they can do to help each other and that for me was like my my aha moment because you know I, I was able to think back to that then I ended up in the role and um so we have what's called like community events at shop where kids will hold lemonade stands or you know sell make bracelets and sell them and things like that and usually the kids will like include a little letter with with their donation check that they send and um I like tear up every time I read it just because I'm like this is just this is why I do what I do like I do this for the kids and it's it's just I don't you know I'm not I'm not a frontline essential worker kudos to everybody that does that but but it makes me feel good about what I do every day because I feel like in some way even if it's the smallest way ever I'm doing something that is is making a difference in the lives of these children that are being cheek treated at CHOP. I guess that goes into why would a student or why would anybody looking into trying to uh, find a direction in their career, why would they pick fundraising? You know, see, so we know it's a, it's a very rewarding uh, experience. It's a very meaningful Absolutely. experience. Is there other reasons uh, besides that, that somebody would want to go into fundraising? Um, I, I think... 
I, I don't know of any, to be honest. I mean, I think that, you know, to be a fundraiser, you, you really have to agree with or have like an alignment between your personal values and the values of, of the company or the organization that you're working for. Um, or, or fundraising will be just the job. And that's not something that I've ever felt at CHOP is, is it being just a job. But like when you're, when you're making a point to a person to, to donate, you know, X amount of dollars to this cause, it really has to be something that you're passionate about. You have to find your niche. You have to find, you know, something that you're passionate about so that when you're going and pitching to these, these donors, why they should be supporting, you know, X, Y, or Z cause it, it has to align with your passions in, in one way or another, whether it's, you know, the mission of the organization that you're working for or a specific, you know, healthcare related, a specific division or, you know, somebody that ends up in higher ed fundraising has to, has to really, you just really have to back what you're doing and what you're, what you're pushing other people to support. Not, I don't like to say pushing because we don't, you know, at CHOP especially, we're super donor centric and, and we want to hear what's important to them and what their philanthropic interests are. But, but in order to speak on something, you really have to become like an expert and, and be passionate about what you're speaking about when it comes to speaking with donors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be a salesman and, and this is, this is one thing about CHOP that I find so unique where it's not like we really, the individual giving team really is just like a unit that works together and supports each other. And it's, there's not like, you know, I, I think there's a misconception sometimes about fundraising being like cutthroat and, and, you know, you're driven to get your own personal goals and, and there's none of that at top. And, and I don't, that might've just been my, my misconstrued belief before I was part of an, an individual giving team. It is, it is the most rewarding thing in the world to see my colleagues you know, high-fiving each other and and really being supportive of each other when something good happens for them. Because at the end of the day, we're all going home knowing that no matter who closed the gift, no matter, you know, who made that that outreach, we just raised X amount of dollars for something that's going to make the, a difference in the lives of so many kids. Would you say that um, the greater Philadelphia is a strong area to start a career in fundraising? Yeah, I think that there, I, I mean, depending... And not even just in in healthcare. There there are so many opportunities to start a career in fundraising in healthcare. But the history and the culture and and just the amount of opportunities in Philadelphia is is huge. I mean, we have the Franklin Institute, we have the um, the Art Museum, we have the uh, we have Jefferson, we have Temple, we have Chop, we have Penn, we have Drexel, and that's. A lot of that was just medical, but then there's also like Drexel Higher Ed, then there's Jefferson Higher Ed, there's Temple Higher Ed. There, there are a lot of opportunities in the Philadelphia area. Wow. There's IPC Foundation. I mean, if if you did like a Google search of the foundations in Philadelphia and and where they're hiring, it's you're you're going to spend a day looking at different job opportunities. Do, do uh, foundations ever work with each other? Is there any cross collaboration? So. In what way? So like we have foundations. So our corporate and foundation relations team works strictly with corporations and foundations. So in that sense, yes, 
Chop Foundation is working with, you know, um, IBC Foundation to support a cause, but it's supporting the hospital cause. Is that answering your question? Or do you mean like, you know, somebody from Chop and Penn come together with a specific donor to secure a gift that's going to support both Penn and Chop in some way? Because there's a lot of crossover with clinicians and things at Chop and Penn. I was wondering it's like if there's like a community within Philadelphia of people who do fundraising who are not necessarily from the same institution. Like, is there any cross in that sense? There's, um, I mean, there's different. I don't. I actually don't know if there's something specific to just fundraising professionals. Um, I know that there's there's different like nonprofit specific um groups where people that work for nonprofits can get together and kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like a um, young professionals network. I don't know if you're familiar with YPN, but it's similar to that where like they hold monthly meetings and they just kind of get together and it's, it's like an information share almost. Um, but I don't, I, I honestly don't know if, if there's something specific to fundraising, but I'm interested now in learning that. I'm going to look into that for you, actually. (laughs) Going back to what you said about you really have to be passionate about it. So I guess that's one of these qualities that you have to have going into fundraising. What other qualities are beneficial to have when you go into fundraising? What kind of person makes a good fundraising? What kind of soft skills or what kind of even even technical skills are are, uh, good to have going into fundraising? Or what kind of person as well? So I I think that you have to be... um... You have to be empathetic. You have to be willing to listen, to, to know when it's time for you to talk and when it's time for the, the donor to talk and share their story. Um, you have to be real, to be honest. I mean, I, I think that, you know, and, and that's where I think, you know, fundraising is different from sales because sales, people are going to say whatever they need to say to make a deal. Whereas with fundraisers, they're, they're, because they're passionate and because they're real people, they're not going to just push a donor in a certain way to benefit themselves. Um, so you have to be caring. You have to, you have to be intelligent. It, it is not, it is the amount of work that goes into closing one gift from start to finish is unbelievable. Um, you also have to be, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to be, you have to be driven. You also have to be ready. You have, you have to be somebody that will fail forward almost. So you, you learn from your mistakes. You have to be driven to when somebody says, no, now is not the right time. You have to keep yourself accountable for follow-up to be like, okay, now wasn't the time, but maybe six months from now will be the time. So if I could, like, it's unbelievable how many gift officers have shared stories of a donor, you know, being short with them or, or getting into a conversation and saying, yeah, this gift's, this is great. I'm going to close this gift. And then they go radio silent for months. So you, you have to be willing to push and, and take that rejection and, and, not just instantly shut down from a rejection because just because somebody's saying, you know, somebody's not answering you doesn't mean there's a no. So you have to be persistent. You have to be willing to be persistent and keep on trying. And if you fall off your horse, get back on it because um, you have to realize too, in, in an individual giving setting, 
we're, we're dealing with people that have a really high capacity sometimes, and we're not the only ones contacting these individuals. So, so you have to find, you have to be creative also. So you don't have to just be strategic and analytical. You have to also then have, have that creative side of your brain come out because you have to get really savvy about the ways that you're going to promote the institution that you work for to make it different and make it stand out from the 10 other institutions that are also contacting these individuals with really high capacity. Got to be like left-brained and right-brained at the same time. You have to find the right balance for both. It seems like you're bringing up a lot of uh, misconceptions, I guess, about fundraising that people have uh, before they get into it. Would you say there's a lot of those? Yes, I, I I, I will say that because I think, you know, personally me, I don't even have a high capacity and I get these cold calls sometimes and I get these, these messages, I get emails and mailers sent to my house every day for, or not every day, emails I get almost every day, mailers I get like twice a week from um, the college that I went to asking for donations. And I can't imagine if I actually had like a lot of capacity, how much more I would be getting. So I think that, you know, I, I think that, a misconception for people that are external to the organization, external to, to fundraising as a whole, the misconception on their end is that they're just another donor. They're just another name. They're just, you know, another individual that has capacity that was passed on to them from a research team. And they know that they're going to go through the spiel and they're going to listen to the fundraiser and, and they, it, they don't really matter to to the cause and to the institution so i think externally that's the misconception especially at chop because because our our gift officers do care and they do want to know about the donor stories and and what what they can do to make them feel a little bit better about what they're going through in life and then internally i can speak to you know the behind the scenes is not glamorous. The behind the scenes work is not glamorous. The data, the the incorrect data that has to then be cleaned up, the the numbers, the you know, the reports, all of that, it's not glamorous, but it's what makes it it's what helps the gift officers be successful because they feel prepared going into meetings. Um, and I know that when in in my previous role. Um, you know, we had all these different things happening and, and to us, sometimes it would feel like the priority of the frontline fundraisers wasn't to answer our questions about gifts and about incorrect data and things like that. Um, and it was, it was the miscon the misconception was that it's because they didn't care. That is so false. And I like have told some of my colleagues now on the individual giving team that like, this was my, my belief for a little while before I joined the team, I just, I, you learn that it's not that they don't care. The, the frontline fundraisers actually, I think, care more about the data than I did, even in my role behind the scenes, because they want the accurate data. They don't want to give the wrong data to clinicians and to donors and then have to go back and correct themselves. Um, but being a frontline fundraiser, you are donor centric. You are, and clinician centric, like you're being pulled in eight different directions by various clinicians and then, you know, five more other directions by various donors. So it's not ever that 
that they didn't care. It's just that the priorities are donor clinician, you know, and then updating an email address is going to come, but it might not come right when we need it. Um, and I, I genuinely apologize to my colleagues on IG to say, you know, it just felt like you were making my job harder because I had to hunt you down to get the information I needed to complete my work. But like, once you join, once you switch from the behind the scenes to the front line, you realize like, that's not at all what they were trying to do. Like these people genuinely care about the information. They genuinely care about the data. It's just, they're being pulled in too many different directions. Um, fundraisers have to be caring people. They just have to be, especially in the nonprofit world. Would you say those are similar uh, misconceptions that people who are new to fundraising, like a new per a person who just starts a career in fundraising, do you think those are the similar misconceptions apply to them? I think it depends on what their background is before joining fundraising. Like my background in fundraising was non-existent. I did like some bake sales and some lemonade stands. That was that was my experience in fundraising. Um, so I think if there's somebody that has like an you know worked for a foundation, whether it be as an internship or even took, like when I was in college, they didn't offer nonprofit fundraising classes. They actually offer them now, which is amazing to me. Um, so, so I think that if I would have had, you know, I, I was, I was like, I was almost like led into this is what it is kind of. And I don't want to, I don't want that to sound negative about the people that I was working with behind the scenes either, because it wasn't, it was just like, I didn't know anything about fundraising at all. Everything I learned was, was from scratch. So um, it, it was, you know, I just think, I think until you live it, you don't know. Like I, I also think that fundraising and sales a lot of times go hand in hand. So in that sense, it might be misconstrued by people on the outside before they start fundraising. And in a sense, it is a sales job, but it's so much more than that. You know, like we're selling chop, we're selling the mission of chop, but we're not, we're not doing it for our own gain, if that makes sense. I know when I first came as an intern to CHOP in fundraising, I was incredibly ignorant about what fundraising was. I mean, I had my, my few experiences in school fundraisers and, and various like community things. I don't think you understand like professional fundraising until you do it. As you, as you said, the breadth of it, nuance of how much goes into one gift, like it's such a big thing. And I even took the, the online course about fundraising. I'm like, oh, I'm going to know so much. And I mean, a lot of it did align. Because there is like a, a philosophy of fundraising that a lot of people subscribe to, but it's it's really it's much has a lot more depth and and complexity and and stuff going to than than people realize. Because I think sometimes somebody who doesn't know fundraising at all or never been interacted with a front front frontline fundraiser and they definitely never interacted with the background. Uh, work that happens, they maybe just think, oh, fundraising is just asking people for money, but it's it's not exactly. It is. So much more than that. And that also goes into like the depth of different opportunities there are in fundraising. So if you want to be involved in fundraising, you don't just have to be a frontline fundraiser. Can you speak to some of those different uh, skill sets, opportunities, job titles that are in the fundraising arena? Oh, gosh. In the fundraising world, I mean, just looking at the foundation, the CHOP Foundation, because this is, I can only speak to the CHOP Foundation because that's the only fundraising experience I have. So I'm sorry, I keep going back to that. 
But I mean, just looking at our foundation, we have what 130 some individuals working in the foundation. Clearly, we're not all individual gift office, individual giving officers. Um, you know, there are there. Let, I'm just going to run through the different teams that we have within the foundation. I mean, we have a donor relations and stewardship team, which deals with donor complaints, donor issues, but then also deals with creating really nice written proposals and written stewardship reports and video creating videos and, and overture sites for our donors to make them feel appreciated. Um, that's a team, I don't, it's a team of what, like five now, I think, that's doing this for our entire donor pool. So opportunities there, you know, but if you're, if you're really interested in writing, that's what we hire in the donor relations team. We hire writers to write these proposals and stewardship reports for our donors. Um, then we, we go into the corporate and foundations team, which only deals with frontline fundraising for corporations and foundations, um, which is a whole different type of fundraising than what individual giving fundraising is because most of the time, the giving that we're getting from corporations and, and foundations are research grants, um, which means we have to stick to, if we get research grant funding, our clinicians have to stick to a really strict guideline that's set out in this research grant that they're, that's written by the corporation and foundations team. They have to stick to this, this really strict guideline of, of what they can and can't do with the money. And if they don't complete a research project within this time, they lose the funding. Um, that's not the same for frontline fundraisers. In some cases it is, but most of the time that's only specific to corporations and foundations um, because that's where we get our grants from. Then we have a team for cause marketing, which is like when you see the chaplains and things like that out at um, Dairy Queen and Wawa and, and, where else do we go? Walmart? No, I don't think we were at Walmart at any point in time. But either way, we go out into like the retail world and promote our names there. That's also fundraising. That's a whole different, again, kind of fundraising because it's it's smaller proceeds coming from from stores, from retail stores usually that are are being given to chop, and we're we're getting our name out there that way. Um, we have individual giving, obviously. Then. We also have the gift administration team, which again is is sometimes I think being in the behind the scenes world can make you feel like you're not in fundraising so much. But then what it comes down to is you have to remember that that you're the one taking in hundreds of gifts on a daily basis, recording them in the system to ensure that you're creating accurate receiving and accurate data for the gift officer. So, so realistically, when somebody sends in a donation, gift administration are the first people to handle that gift. They deal with that gift first, and then they're the first touch point because the, the standard for the gift administration team at CHOP was to receive a gift, process the gift, and have the receipt sent out in the mail within 72 hours. So you're really the first touch point for a donor. Um, and that's, you know, that's where that donor centric mindset has to come back. Even though you're behind the scenes and it might not feel like this gift receipt matters to a donor, that gift receipt is what they use for their taxes. They are, if there's something wrong on that receipt, they are literally emailing and calling immediately to, to get it fixed. So 
the, you're almost, it's like first impression almost when you're in gift administration. Um, so there's opportunity there. There's opportunity on the prospect development team, which is really strategic and really analytical um, because you get to, you get to find information and dig through information that's going to help the gift officers or the corporate corporations and foundations team be successful. Um, the, the prospect development team, they, they do so much. It's like unbelievable what they do. I think they, they are right now a team of three and are supporting an entire foundation as far as creating event briefs, which we don't, we haven't really had events. We've had virtual events, but prior to all that's happening in the world right now, um, they're doing, they're, they're creating just profiles for donors because we need updated information on the donors to make the gift officers feel more prepared. Um, they are, you know, doing rating research. They're constantly monitoring the news to see what's what's coming out in the world about philanthropy and, and other, you know, business transactions. There's like hard, like a uh, like technical data, uh, um, data mining and data searching that goes on. Mm-hmm. So, like a computer science background could potentially do well in 100%. that area. There's an entire business data analytics team that. Um, that that's what they do, you know, that's, and they're amazing. They, they just create these, they, sometimes it's funny kind of, because I, I always, you know, pride myself on having an understanding of the technical terms along with the frontline language, because there is a difference. Um, and at times I'll be talking to somebody on our like data analytics team and they start getting into like all the different coding and stuff with me. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know some of this stuff from behind the scenes, but that's like, you need to know all that coding. That's wonderful that you do, but I, I'm lost and I don't want to get us tied up on that coding right now because we have, we all, we both have more important things. So a student that potentially wants to go into fundraising and maybe they don't have a communications degree or some kind of nonprofit degree, would you say it's a pretty diverse field in terms of what people's educational background is? hundred percent. hundred percent. What are some of the, some of the degrees you see at um, the foundation? Somebody, the, the director of principal giving has a master's in social work. Um, my, well, a colleague of mine has a master's in business. Um, somebody in somebody that I used to work for in gift administration has a has has their undergrad in history. Um, and then there's the, there, you know the the data team really is heavier in the the IS like the information sciences degrees. Um, what else do I see? <laughs> I know we have some law. We have some law degrees. Um, I'm trying to think of what. We had one, one art history or something once, I believe. Yeah. There's, you know, and then there's there's also psychology degrees. It's literally such a wide range. I, I One of my colleagues actually is minored in history. And then what was his major? trying to remember what his major was it was not anything it was like poli sci maybe it was nothing fundraising related at all um but he he got involved with fundraising through his his college and kind of enjoyed it and it took off and now he has a career as a director of development um 
these days they they do have uh, fund uh, fundraising degrees, and I think that's because it's become such a bigger field. Or it wasn't such a huge. I mean, it was still a big field, but but I think that it's just grown so much because people have become so much more passionate about being philanthropic, and you know the needs in in the medical world have just skyrocketed. Um, I, I would actually, I've, I've been toying with going back to get my master's in like a nonprofit fundraising role. Do you think master's, I guess it depends on which industry you're in, but would you think it, it pays to go for the higher education, like the second path, like a get a master's or? I don't think you can ever stop learning. Um, I think that going back and getting, you know, the higher education and a master's, no matter what it's in, is going to only benefit the individual that does it. Um, that the only thing that I've really been toying with is whether or not I want to go and just get like a, it's called a six Sigma certification, which helps with like project and process management. Um, which in my, in my current role and, and in my future role, I hope to be a way more involved with process and project management, um, which is why I've been weighing whether or not it makes more sense for me to just go and get the certification specific to what my career aspirations are, or if it makes more sense for me to go and, and do, you know, an online program. And, and I think that's going to differ for every individual. I, you know, the VP of CHOP is CFRE uh, certified, which is certified fundraising executive. Um, and she chose to do that instead of going for her master. So again, it's, it's, you know, it's all your personal opinion, like personal choices that are going to work best for you. And, and people, so Shauna, the VP presents at, um, and she speaks at a number of seminars and she has a podcast and she has a blog. And a lot of times people ask her, well, why didn't you, why did you have to become CFRE certified rather than going to get your degree? And, and she's very honest that, you know, it's because at the time in her life that she was doing it, it's what felt best for her and, and her, um, she's very proud that she made the decision that she made and she's been very successful. So I don't think, I don't want to say that you won't be successful without you know, advancing your, your education and, and becoming, um, a master's of, of something. But I do think it's important to always be open to the, the possibility of advancing, whether it be through certification or, you know, through higher education to your career. It's, it's, um, knowledge is power. And the more, you know, the more successful you're going to be. So, you know, even if, even if you're taking like free, webinar classes you're you're learning you're doing things to advance your career and i just think for anybody in any role in any world it's really important to remember that that you can never you can never know enough because there's so much information and it's such a diverse world in fundraising that there is always more to learn what should undergrad students like what skills should they hone in and work on or experiences they should if they're considering going into fundraising, what are some important stuff to pick up in your academic career when you're uh, considering going into fundraising? I think getting involved as much as you can, whether it be, um, you know, like I know my my college offered, you know, volunteer opportunities with 
community and they offer volunteer opportunities with events and they and um they offered i think that to find out what you're most happy doing you have to just gain the experience you have to you can't you can't just read about things and think and, and say i know for 100 percent fact that's what i want to do because in my life what i thought i wanted to do was be an event planner i thought that that's what i was going to be really good at because i have these organizational skills and i have you know i enjoy i enjoyed making people happy but i quickly learned and it wasn't until um the first time i i volunteered at Parkway Run that I realized that that was not my passion. Being an event planner was not my passion. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I single-handedly ran an event to, that was specific to our board. And I was so stressed out that I was like, okay, really happy. I didn't make the choice I, to, to become an event planner because I would not, I would have burnt myself out so quickly. The idea of being an event planner sounded great to me. I, I, I was on board. Actually doing the event planning was extremely stressful to me because it was, you know, every, at the end of the day, that entire event was like on your shoulders. And if it wasn't successful, it meant all the planning wasn't successful. And I'm, I'm a person that like, I plan my day, but it's on me if my, my next day is not successful. It does, I don't have, you know, the CEO and the CDO and the VPs all there looking at me saying, your day didn't go well. But like, if I failed on this event, I failed and that, and that really caused a lot of stress on to me. And I just, you know, I, I didn't know that until I did it. So I would, to any undergrads, I would say, if you think you have an idea of, of where you want your future to be in fundraising, if there are opportunities to get involved and to join in and just, and, and even have any role, no matter how small it might be in, in, a fundraising aspect to do it jump on it because like we've talked about there is such a fundraising is just such a diverse world there's so just because you know maybe frontline fundraising isn't right for you maybe event fundraising is right for you or maybe corporation foundation fundraising is right for you or maybe none of that's right for you and you belong on the prospect development team being really strategic about the work you do every day um so, so I think because it's such a big world, the more that you can do as an undergrad to figure out where you want to end up is is going to benefit you the most. Would you, would you say these volunteer experiences also would help you get your first job in fundraising or your first internship in fundraising? Is that, that what they look for? I think that you can make the connections. I, again, I didn't have any experience, so I can't fully speak to that. I had a, 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 my first boss. I, she's retired now, but she's my mama bear. She told me everything I needed to know. And when, when I, I will never forget when I interviewed with her, she said, you know, you don't have any fundraising experience. She was like, why, why should I hire you over a candidate that has, you know, five internships under her belt and, and you who has no internships with fundraising. And I, and I just, that's at that point I was really real with her. And I said, because I, I have a passion to do this and I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to commit to you hundred percent in everything I do. And, and that's where you have to be like vulnerable and real. So 
I think that it's nice to, to make the connections. And I think that if you do a really great job as an intern, you can absolutely end up making a career out of it. But I don't, I also can't, from my own personal experience, I can't say that it's absolutely necessary to, to do fundraising specific volunteer work or internships to, to solidify your career as a fundraiser. Is there a future for students in fundraising in the long-term thing? We see right now so many industries are changing and everything's kind of getting turned upside down with recent events and this whole year. Is fundraising as a whole a safe place to get into for a new student? I think so, because I think I think that, you know, especially with, with a lot of the things in, in that are happening in the world right now, fundraising is going to be more important than ever. Um I mean, look at hospitals, revenues down at hospitals because people can't be treated for, I mean, they can still be treated, but like they can't go in for, uh, surgeries were shut down at one point unless it was a life or death situation. And um, that wasn't just a chop, that was hospitals around the world. People, people, the revenue has just really decreased because patient volume wasn't there because People were scared of, of the pandemic and people couldn't come into the hospital because they had a fever or they had, you know, a cough. Um, and our clinicians and and researchers are relying on us more than ever for for funding so that they can ensure the research that they're doing to cure cancer gets to move forward. And clinicians who, you know, are, are feeling that their patient volume is going back up, they, they need or philanthropic, they need philanthropic dollars to continue being able to be the best and be experts and and hire fellows and keep fellows on. And um, I, I just think that in light of everything that's happening in the world right now, fundraising is not going anywhere. It's, it's here to stay. And it's, you know, people are always going to be driven to give back in some way. Um, and and the skill sets you learn in fundraising, right? So if you do fundraising as a job, do you get stuck in fundraising or you could always take those skills somewhere else? No, I think that you can take I think that you can take those skills somewhere else. I mean, I know a lot of people have done, you know, that they were close to retirement, but they weren't fully ready to retire, but they didn't want like the nine to five anymore. So they went and they took like a consulting job for um as a sales executive. So they were, they took their skills that they learned in fundraising and honed them in to, to communicate to people who are in sales or, you know, anybody who's doing any kind of IS work, that is a skill that they can take anywhere. If, if you have information sciences and data analytics skills, you can literally take that anywhere. You do not have to remain in fundraising. Would you say even those more fundraising specific jobs, so those traditional ones, you're still doing a customer relations, you're yep. doing management, you're doing project. So I think a lot of the skills you do learn in fundraising, or even the skills you take from somewhere else, can be applied in fundraising. Fundraising Very is not terrible. Yeah, fundraising is not something, at least from my understanding, that the skill set exists in a bubble. It's not like if you're a fundraiser, you only can do fundraising, or if you're not a fundraiser, you won't have any uh, success in fundraising. I think a lot of those. Those, those project management and those communication is such a big key oh, yeah. are so important in a lot of careers and not just fundraising. No, itself. not at all. Yeah, I mean, project management is crucial in every career. Um, if you want to be successful in any career, you have to have somebody who is always constantly working on process improvement and you have to have somebody who's there supporting project management because no matter what 
organization you work for, or what field you're working in, there are always projects and there's always a lot of projects and you have to have somebody who's like helping streamline priorities and, and ensuring things are getting done in a timely manner. We're coming close to our end of our time. Um, if there's anything you would want to like tell students, something you want to uh, let everybody know. For me personally, my message would be, don't be afraid to apply for the job that you don't meet every requirement of. Um, I certainly did not meet any every single requirement of the first job that I was given in fundraising. And I have, have been able to make a career out of it. And I have been very happy with my career. And I'm very happy with what the future holds for me in this career. So for, for students that are going to be graduating and, and joining the work world, don't don't be intimidated to apply for those jobs that you feel like you're not super qualified for, because at the end of the day, you probably are. Um, and the worst that you can hear is no. And that just means, you know, that in the long run teaches you perseverance and it teaches you to continue to get back up and, and keep putting yourself out there. Um, and don't apply for things just to apply. Find what your interest is because I I truly believe that if, and I don't know if everybody would give this advice, but I don't think there's, a, you know, if you're doing something that you're not passionate about, no amount of money in the world is going to make you feel really fulfilled and happy. Don't, don't take a job that's going to make you absolutely miserable because you're worth more. You can do more. Find your passion. Also, I don't think if, if you do a job, you're absolutely miserable and you probably won't be performing as well either. Nope. Yeah. So I'm, but there's some people who just take a job because the dollar amounts, right. Um, and that's not something I've ever, I've ever done. I am, if I'm not feeling, you know, fulfilled by what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, it, it takes a toll on you mentally and it, it, you can very quickly become like robotic and just, you know, kind of going through the day and, and not going through the motions of the day and not truly living a happy and fulfilling life. Um, so I think that that would be my advice. Don't be afraid to apply for any job that catches your eye. And if you hear no, persevere, get back up and, and get back out there and apply for a different job. And, and, you know, somebody's going to see your worth and the skill set that you have, and they're going to give you that chance, just like my first boss in fundraising gave me the chance to to join the fundraising world. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was great. And that wraps up our show. If you want to learn more about fundraising, so what helped me out a lot was this development in fundraising specialization from Coursera. Also, it's always great to volunteer you can always reach out to fundraising professionals. Uh, I think it's a really great place for new graduates to get into. You know, you could choose a career that you're going to be passionate about that thing for the rest of your life rather than just get stuck in that job that you don't have any emotion in it and doesn't really make you feel good. Yeah, look into a career in fundraising. I think it's a great spot. You're going to enjoy it. Um, I want to thank uh, the people who helped me make this podcast. So. A thank you goes out to Indigo. Uh, she helped me research the questions. Uh, thank you to my manager, Kristen. Uh, I wanted to thank the foundation team at Monco, uh, Sarah and Tracy specifically, for letting me talk to them. Also, it's a big thank you to CHOP itself and the CHOP Foundation, my manager, Melissa, our uh, leadership, Monica, and Shauna. I learned a great bit 
from my time at CHOP. really made me look at fundraising in a different way. I really love being in a place like CHOP no matter what I do. It's such a great place to be a part of. This December, I'm going to be leaving CHOP after a year of being there. It's going to be a little sad, but I learned a lot. I wanted to thank the CHOP team profusely. If you know of anybody else or something, a different topic I should cover, uh, feel free to reach out to me at my school email address, which is b-t-a-b-a-n-n-e-j-a-d-6823 at students.mc3.edu.